From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Um, anybody like me who, um, when you drive by those church signs, you get this like inattention. You know, like you drive by those signs, and they often say something. They might say something real cheesy. Uh, they might, you know, go the other way and say something real judgy. Uh, it's often, like, not a very helpful thing. But anybody else drive by those and just feel this, like, ooh, this kind of tension. You know, I, I saw one in Fort Collins this week. It said, um, the sun is bright, S-O-N, clever, okay, good one. Uh, the sun is bright, protect yourself or your sin will burn you, okay, helpful. Uh, one of those... Uh, Bring a friend, invite your neighbor uh, to that kind of place. But I saw this one this week, and uh, not in Fort Collins, but online on Twitter. Uh, They have a uh, church signs this week thing. And what the church was trying to communicate was something tender and sincere, which is there are people out there who are hurting, and we want them to know um, that this is a safe place for them. We want those hurting people to know that here is a place that we love them. And so they must have worked with crafting the order of the words and that. And they came down and distilled it down. Unfortunately, too, we love hurting people. And one of those things where, man, I, I so get their heart. Okay, I get what they're trying to do. Uh, and it was one of those things they say, we love caring for people who are hurting. No, that's too long. Let's shorten it down. How many words? We got four words here. We love hurting people. Um, or... Maybe they were just telling the truth. Some churches are like that. And so um, I grew up in one. Um, and so anyway, what does that have to do with the message? Nothing at all. Um, but uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about a story in John 9. It's called the story of, uh, or it's about the story of a man born blind. Uh, if you were here the last time I uh, had the privilege of speaking, we were speaking about newness, a new name that God gave to Abraham. So uh, God engaging with Abraham, and he says, my name is Jehovah Jireh, that is, the Lord will provide. And it wasn't a new name to God. He, he had that name. He knew who he was. But he was inviting Abraham into a new kind of understanding about who he was. And he was inviting Abraham, in a sense, as we said last time, to shift his reality of who God is and what God is about. We said last time he was inviting Abraham to stop believing in Santa Claus. Santa Claus, they didn't believe in him then either. But to stop believing in this God who, sorry, this I, I have like the wrong shaped ears for these things. Um, to stop believing in the God that he believed in. That is this God who was looking for child sacrifice, this God who was looking only to judge the world rather than bring freedom and love into the world. And so what we see and what we appreciate in the stories in Scripture is that Jesus is in the business of bringing newness. So when we look for him in Scripture, we should say, what new thing is he doing here? See, Jesus didn't step into the world 2,000 years ago just to check a couple of boxes, tweak a couple of minor things, and say, you know what, you guys are kind of good. Like, I don't know how you figured it out, but man, you're good. He came in to bring something brand new. And we see it in Scripture that he came to bring in a new covenant, a new kind of relationship. He came into the world to engage with you and I and make us not slightly better creatures, not version 2.0 creatures, 
not iOS update 12 creatures, but he came to make us new creatures. And he came over all of things, it says in Revelation 21 verse 5, to make all things new. Not just things in my life new, not just things in America new, not just things in Israel new, but all things new. The way a new style of governance, a new framework for love, a new expression of grace, a new invitation to freedom. And so when we dive into the word new in the New Testament, it's this Greek word kainos, and it means a new opportunity or a new innovation. And so if you and I want to wake up each day and be a part of the most innovative enterprise in the universe, we're going to have to engage with the kingdom of God because it is all about bringing something new. And the story in John 9 that we're going to engage together today is about inviting a new way of seeing who God is. So we're going to read some select verses, uh, John 9 verse 1 says this, as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You ever engage with somebody and you meet somebody, maybe someone brand new, and you ask a question and immediately immediately you're like, Ooh, that was the wrong question. That was like a bad question to ask, okay? I think we can all observe this story and say when the disciples with Jesus come along and engage a man born blind, the wrong question, the old question, the question that leads to death is who sinned? That if we were to play a game of Jeopardy, right, which is about you have to guess the question that leads to the answer, and we told you the answer was there's a man born blind, he engages with the Savior of the world who covers his eyes in mud, who tells him to go and wash, and he can see, we wouldn't buzz in and say, who sinned? Because that question doesn't lead to life. They were asking an old question. And it's a question that reminds us, even if we go back into human history, that this isn't just the wrong question that the disciples were asking. This was, and it's not just the wrong question that sometimes the church is asking, but it was the wrong question that humanity has been asking all throughout history. That when we dive into the Old Testament and we read the story of a man called Job, he is a man who is good by all accounts, and yet devastating things happen to him. And when those things happen to him, he loses his family, he loses his flocks, he loses all of his possessions. His three friends come to him, and watch this, they do what is helpful and good to do when a friend is grieving. They come and they sit in silence. They don't say a word. And if you read that story, they are great friends when they keep their mouths shut. It's a good lesson for us sometimes that when we come alongside people who are hurting, that sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. And yet after seven days, they open their mouths, and the question, in effect, that they ask is, who sinned? Because they lived through a framework of whereby bad things happen to bad people, and good things happen to good people, and so if something bad happens, it must be because of sin. 
and yet Jesus intersects all of that and messes up the whole conversation and says, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, don't get me wrong, sometimes our sin does lead us into places of destruction. It does. In fact, I would say that all sin leads to destruction, right? It's never like a creative act. But the point is in this story is that the disciples were coming alongside a man who was broken and had been rejected, and they were asking the wrong question. And I would suggest that maybe what they were entering into was this framework of God, that because God is judging this person, it allows me to judge that person too. And they were partnering with a God who didn't exist. And Jesus says, that is not the question that I'm asking. You see, the questions we ask determine or inform the kind of answers that we can experience in life. I would say it like this, that our curiosity always precedes our creativity. That if we're approaching the world's suffering with the question, who sinned, we're never going to unleash the creativity that God has. That all of human innovation, whether it's in these days electric cars, whether it's your Apple iPhone, whatever it is, all of that creativity is unleashed because somebody at some moment asked the right question, the question that led to possibility. And so Jesus steps in the next verse, and he says, um, so they ask who sinned, bad question. Next verse is, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I would say it like this, Jesus wasn't interested in answering the question, who is culpable? He was interested in addressing the question, what is possible? that he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, and in English it says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, if we read that in English, English is a beautiful language for a lot of things, but in this case, what it could mess us up in thinking is like, man, God like made this guy blind so that one day he could come alongside and look good. But if we read it, if we read the actual translation, a better way of translating this is to say, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this results in the works of God being displayed in him. In other words, Jesus was not rooted on why. He was telling them, listen, staying in the question why is going to leave you stuck. It's going to leave you in a place of trying to judge. It's going to leave you in a place of trying to understand something that can't be understood. And so he pulls them out of the question why, and he introduces them to the question who. That he says, addressing the question, who is going to engage with this man? And what Jesus said is that this can result in the works of God being displayed in him. You see, when you and I go through some kind of suffering or some kind of challenge, we do have the opportunity to make it a, a challenge that keeps us stuck in the past, stuck in this old framework of who God is. Or we can bring that challenge, that problem to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't know why this has happened within me, but I want it to be about bringing the glory of God into the world. 
Can you do something through me? What is possible? And so Jesus then changes the question. Next up. Jesus says this, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And the next verse. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Um, I talk pretty fast, so sometimes you might see spit come out. I'm not trying to model this story. It's just, it's why if you've been here before, you don't sit on the front row, okay? Um, It's anointed, I can promise you. Um, But I love how Jesus always does the thing you would not expect him to do. Because here's the thing we know. If there's something wrong with your eyes, the last thing you're going to do is rub dirt into it. The last thing. Okay? If my son, Cooper, comes in and goes, hey, daddy, I got something stuck in my eye. I don't go, come outside with me, boy. I got something to show you. You're not going to believe this. I'm going to spit in the mud and put it on your eyes. Another translation says he anointed his eyes. Now, I don't fully understand. There's a lot of things that Jesus did that unless you're a first century Jew, we may miss a lot of things. So I don't know exactly what he was doing here. But what I can guess is that was Jesus doing something um, disruptive? Was he doing something that would mess them up? Was he doing something subversive? Right? Subversive is where you have the intent of subverting an existing system or, or relationship. And so a, a hypothetical example of subversion might be if there was like an American actress who uh, opted to marry like the second in line to the throne in England or something like that. That could be, I'm not saying it is, but that could be a little subversive, okay? We're like, hey, we're not, we're not naive here. We know what's going on. We've already lost an empire. Just let us keep what we have, okay? We, it's just a little island, okay? We're not going to bother you. Um, and um, that's probably the end. Um, no, um, but Jesus messes them up. And if I can invite us into anything, it would be that when we read the stories of Jesus, it would be to say, Jesus, I want you to mess me up with this because I'm tired of believing in this, in this old way of doing things. I want to know a God who when he engages with a man who is blind is not interested in, that, in judging that man's sin, but is interested in coming alongside and saying, this is an opportunity for glory. This is an opportunity for relationship. This is an opportunity for redemption. And so Jesus goes on after this and he says, go, the next verse is, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man, man went and washed and came home seeing. For all of this man's life, he had been judged because his eyes didn't work. And so Jesus covers them up in mud, creates this kind of covering, and says, I want you now, just like every other human being on the planet, that if you have mud in your eyes, you need to go wash it out. And so he invites him to go to the pool of Siloam and he washes his eyes and the man comes back seeing. And we know what's going to happen in the story. The people are going to jump for joy and say, God is real. He did this. He made this man see. 
But that isn't what happens. Because they are so wrapped up in their framework of who God is that they are already crystal clear on what is possible. And so when Jesus does the impossible, they are the ones who are blind. They can't see all that God is doing because they are asking the wrong question. And so we can't read all this stuff, but for example, um, they go on, the Pharisees, and they say, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Because the one thing that they knew absolutely was true was that God would never do a miracle on the Sabbath. The problem was, is that they lived in a reality where God not only would never do a miracle on the Sabbath, but He'd never do a miracle on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday either. Because God wasn't interested in their framework in addressing what was possible. He was only interested in condemning them for their evil, which allowed them, by the way, to stay in their position of condemning the man too. And so they were angered by this because Jesus had shifted this man who they had judged their entire life. And in a sense, what Jesus is saying is there is therefore now no condemnation and man, they love their condemnation. And so Jesus invites them in. They're, they're clear. They say um, they decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Um, uh, they're clear. We know this man's a sinner. And the last thing they say to this man is, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. So this man had quite the day, okay? One of those days. You wake up, and the belief is that I'm rejected because my eyes don't work. And then Jesus intersects with me. Now my eyes can work, and now the greatest rejection happens. I get kicked out because they were so stuck on what they thought God could do, or rather what they believed God could never do, that they missed the miracle right in front of their eyes. And there's this beautiful reality as the story closes where it says of Jesus that when he heard that they had cast the man out, he went and found him. That wherever there is somebody who has been rejected, wherever there is somebody who has been falsely judged, wherever there is somebody who has been thrown out, that is the place we will meet Jesus. Coming alongside and saying, my question is not what happened in the past. My question is about what's possible in the future. And so we as a church would engage, that our, we would engage with this reality that our curiosity will always inform our creativity that how curious we can be about what God has for this person or what God has for this community. We could walk around Fort Collins with pickets telling everybody they're going to hell. Or we could engage with each other and on our knees before God and say, God, how do we partner with heaven to bring the impossible to a people who believe that nothing is possible. So the invitation then is to change our question and to partner with Jesus in this. Thanks for listening.
more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.